0: This is Akash Pandey, and you're listening to South Asians Love Rap, stories from people who look like me, set to the music that moves them. Before we get into this episode, I want to tell a quick origin story. About a year and a half ago, I was scrolling on Twitter when I came across a video that was soon to go viral. But
1: let me tell you the story.
0: That's Grammy-winning producer Tim Villett.
1: Pharrell had a studio called Master Sound. It was another studio connected to Master Sound. And me and Missy was working in the, I guess I would call it Studio A. And then they had a Studio B. Yep. And I walked to the back door. Missy was in there doing something. And I heard, I hate you so much right now. I said, uh-huh. what is that? <laughs> and I said, Missy, you got to hear this. And I, I was
2: like, oh, man, I wish
0: I had made that beat. And that beat he wishes he made, that's the handiwork of Grammy-winning producer Pharrell Williams. Along with his childhood friend, Chad Hugo, who forms the other half of their production group, The Neptunes. Both Chad and Pharrell are sitting on stage as well in this clip, part of an event that's inaugurating the music festival, Something in the Water, that took place in Virginia Beach in April 2019. And Pharrell doesn't hesitate to send flowers straight back at Timbo.
1: No, no, you know. Jiggle man, trigger man, hit your man up. Okay. <laughs> see, we could go oh back my and forth all day. So then I goes to a club. See, so we go up back and forth. This is, this is, so then I, we go to a club in, in Virginia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I said, <see> this boy. <laughs> it's crazy that these guys who grew up together in Virginia Beach, two miles apart, have owned the charts for the past two decades. Hit after hit after hit. But they aren't the only guys on stage in this video I saw. There's also New Jack Swing, Pioneer, Teddy Riley, and rappers Pusha T, No Malice of the Clips, who, in their own ways, contributed to Virginia Beach, this tucked away beach town with a population under 500,000, becoming an absolute powerhouse in the music world from 1990 onwards. Not long after I saw that video on Twitter, I was assigned by my boss at work to lead a training for teachers in the Virginia Beach School District. I was like, okay, twist my arm, and I proceeded to read up on the town's hip-hop history before I headed out, and I even spent an extra day just visiting some of the spots I'd learned about. It was incredible. But by focusing on some of these bigger names, the Timberlands and Pharrells and Teddy Riley's. There were huge chunks of the story that I didn't know I didn't know, and that's where my guest today comes in. I came across Shomi's story and all the contributions he made behind the scenes in Virginia Beach months after my visit, but I'm so excited I got to talk to him and, and share our conversation with you all. I'll take you right to my live introduction now. Hope you enjoy his story as much as I did. Shomi Padwari is a video director and co-founder of the creative collective Elusive Media out of Virginia Beach. He's worked with almost every major hip-hop artist you can think of, from Lupe Fiasco on the I'm Beaming video back in 2010, to The Weeknd and Belly on Might Not in 2015, to Offset Metro Booming on Ric Flair Drip for the video in 2018, which has over 350 million views on YouTube. He's worked on commercials for Mountain Dew, the New York Knicks, and I hear he's also just finished writing his first screenplay. Congrats on that. Uh, Throw to have you on the show, Xiaomi. Thanks thanks for making time for this.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, it's uh, always fun. Uh, I'm a big fan of listening to podcasts and doing them. I awesome. never really got a chance to get mine off. I was trying to do one with directors, but that's why it's always fun to do them with other people, even though it's not mine, you know?
0: Well, you're a busy man. I'm sure you have a lot a lot of things going on on, on your plate. Um so I, I really want to start with the early days and, and uh, just knowing that you, you were born and raised in Dhaka, Bangladesh, yeah. uh, early on. I'm, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about what your life was like there and what sort of music, if any, do you remember being into in those like early, early days of growing up in Bangladesh?
2: So I left Bangladesh when I was eight okay. um, for some strange reason, you know, I have the strangest memories but like nothing is like linear mm-hmm. so uh one thing that always now going back to that i remember is how bad i was as a kid <laughs> right like i was always getting in trouble like whether it was getting which is so funny because when i came to america I was completely the opposite person i was like i can't get like into trouble what if i get like kicked out of the country and there was always- <laughs> Fear of like not fully belonging.
0: You yeah, know? the immigrant uh, mentality. Even yeah, as a young kid, exactly. yeah,
2: I just felt like I gotta work extra hard. I gotta see what my dad is doing; he's like working three jobs, two jobs. So like that was ingrained in me. But all the way up to eight, at eight years old, living in Bangladesh is funny because I don't know, like something about being in your own land or something. And I could see why Americans could be this way too. Sometimes um, is like this little bit of like. Lawlessness, and you're in your own kind of world where you feel like you do whatever, you mm-hmm. know? So, my dad was just, he was just coming up in his career, like working as a banker. I remember, like, I had, you know, as with most people in Bangladesh, you know, they have, like, you know, the people who hear housekeeping and all this stuff. So, I'm like used to that as, like, oh, that's a normal thing. Mm-hmm. And then, really, just, Kind of more being obsessed with American culture, mm. right? So we were watching these certain TV shows, and we're like, "Oh, that's what America's like," you know. You'd watch like MacGyver was a big show for some reason. Sure, uh, the A Team, all these like '80s shows, right? Uh, I'm old, <laughs> born '82, <laughs> uh, so like all these '80s shows that's kind of like gives you this idea of what the American dream is, you know, from every aspect. Mm-hmm. So you have these dreams, and you're like, "Oh man, America seems so much better than Bangladesh." Right. You know. And so when I get to America, my uncle was pretty well to do at the time. He was a radiologist, and he sponsored us to get us there. Mm. You know, of course, for a better life. And he had this like multi-million-dollar like luxury like Asian like it was like a Japanese modern home, like insane, right? Like just a man of taste, incredible home and uh, his best friend was also Bengali. We're like our neighbors and it confirmed what I thought America was. I was like, Oh man, like this is America. Like everybody has jet skis and swimming pools and, you know, video games and all this like lavishness, right. I'm seeing, and then six months go by. And then, you know, uh, my dad is like, you know, we got to go to New York. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be hard for the language barrier and everything. Uh, we're going to move to New York and and uh, start our life there. I was like, okay, go to New York. This is like 1990. Oh man, like it was bad. It was bad. Um, like, complete shift, complete cultural shock now. Like, when I came to Virginia to my uncle's spot, I forgot to mention that, like, first place uh, stayed at was in Virginia where my uncle lived. And we had to go back to New York because that's, you know, felt like a better fit for immigrants in the early 90s, just mm-hmm. easier to adjust, right? Mm-hmm. But really the cultural shock for me was like, oh, shit, like nothing safe. I remember my dad getting bugged out here and there. Right. And like, it was not safe uh, to go out on the streets back then. You know, like you had to be careful on the subway, everything, you know? Um, on top of that, like we barely had any money. Um, you know, we had to be, very choosy about what we ate for breakfast, like go to the groceries. It wasn't like Bangladesh where we had a guy that did the grocery shopping for us. Right. Uh, I remember going to this public school and it was like, also a shock. I remember this kid picking on me because I had an accent and I can speak proper English. So I was like, not looking forward to go to uh, school because of that. But Then I befriended this other kid and he was super nice to me. And I remember it was so funny. Like he would, uh, climb up the fire escape our house and my mom would make them sandwiches (laughs) like you just come by like through the fire escape windows like i have these like little bits of memory they're like bittersweet you know yeah Uh, and so there were you know good memories bad memories but overall i just like it's like oh man this is what it's like to be poor and uh really did something to my head i think my dad was working two odd jobs maybe even three odd jobs just working at a candy shop and he was working at Subway and then McDonald's and he just couldn't keep those jobs either. I mean, you know, he's a banker, like he's mm-hmm. doing, he's doing his best, you know, to keep these odd jobs and just had a tough time adjusting because also people were picking on him because he had an accent and things like that. Just adjusting was super hard. Yeah, We were struggling, you know, I remember getting sick. Like I had to get shots. Cause I, I this sounds crazy. And like a lot of my life, I felt like many things are stranger than fiction, but like, a rat bit me and i had to get like wow. injections you know it felt like something out of a ghost face All I
0: needed, <laughs> uh, sure sure i felt
2: that i you guess know?
1: mommy wasn't strong enough she just went down check it 15 of us in the three bedroom apartment Roaches everywhere cousins aunt was there four in the bed two at the foot two at the head i didn't like to
2: sleep with john Johnny beat the bed seven o'clock looking roaches out the stereo box that's early on why I think I gravitated towards so much hip-hop because I felt the struggle early on, you know? It did a lot to me mentally. I always say, like, I have PTSD. Mm. You know, in the beginning, I hated New York. I was like, I never want to go back. <laughs> you know? These childhood memories that were not pleasant to yeah. me at the time because it reminded me of the struggle, uh, which is completely different now. I love New York. But in New York, we were subletting secretly had to keep telling the landlord every time my mom or somebody would run into the landlords like you guys been here for a while like i thought you guys were just visiting so we were you know my mom everybody had to just lie to them say yeah yeah we're we're gonna leave soon you know right 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 (laughs) yeah with no plan at all really um so my uncle came to visit us and he's like you guys can't live like this like i gotta figure out a way to get you guys out of here so you know moved to virginia My uncle got us a nice little townhouse. I was grateful for that, you know? Just like, cool, we got like a townhouse like where we weren't all living in one bedroom. Like, Virginia seemed like paradise coming back. Even living in townhouse, and I didn't even know that the townhouse we were living in was considered the hood. I just thought this is so much better than New York, you know? Like, it was diverse. Even, you know, growing up in Virginia, it's diverse, whether you're living in the hood or you're living in the suburb, it's a diverse area. Right. Which I think was something great for my upbringing. Um, Cause people have stigma about the South. Like, you know, you think of racism, not to say there isn't, but Virginia beach is a unique place for sure. I mean, it's now like a purple state going blue, but it's a very unique place um, because people of all different backgrounds come together. It's a military area. You know, all the military bases are there. It's a huge Navy area. So I think that's contributed to the diversity of the place. And so uh, my dad was still, like, working these odd jobs. Remember, uh, he was working at Pizza Hut and all these things just to make it. But eventually, he got his CPA license. And I've seen my dad, you know, slowly over the years, like, start his own business with his own firm. And just, you know, get us out of there. You know, like... um, But throughout that, all my other cousins were coming from Bangladesh and it was kind of amazing because every time a new cousin would come, they would live with us in our little townhouse. We had a three-bedroom townhouse. So like, you know, one of the bedrooms would be for a new family that would come in and that's how we kind of did it. And it was fun. Um, My cousins were like my brothers to me because we all stayed together for a while, right? Till they kind of could get on their feet. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like the cycle. And my cousins were a little older than me and I thought they were the coolest people ever. Like my cousin was into the coolest music. So like he would put me on to he was like later on in his life he became a DJ, but like early on he was just such a music lover.
1: Nice
2: that we were listening to all kinds of music early on from listening to Crisscross to Cypress Hill to like all this cool 90s stuff, Rex and effects to New Wave music that my other cousin would put me on to growing up on like New Order and The Cure Joy Division early on. Kids don't listen to that when they're like 11 you know yeah, that's like something yeah. people discover in their college or late high school age but i was listening to like new order and all this stuff like early on in elementary school and i loved it and i think it did something to me because i kind of saw hip-hop and rock music through a different perspective because of all that right because uh, all the visuals would just blend in because i love the music videos from all those artists but i always gravitated towards like the grittier stuff i think it's like my experience in new york me always kind of go for the underdog mm-hmm. you know i love a good underdog story so i loved a lot of underground hip-hop you know like i would always gravitated more towards wu-tang and rizza had this side project i remember grave diggers like mm-hmm. i was listening to the darker stuff marilyn manson nine inch nails just really like if it was like really dark goth techno like all this underground mm-hmm. stuff you know i was just into that you know Okay, I understand you guys are pleading insanity, claiming demonic spirits possess you to do these hideous murders. Can you please explain to this court how these so-called spirits made you into these raving madmen?
1: Be a witness as I exercise my exorcism. The evil that lurks within, the sin, the terrorism. Possess my evil spirits, voices from the dead. I come forth with grave diggers in the head. Pulling...
2: Growing up, I had this diverse palette for music, and I hung out with all kinds of kids in school. I was never the popular kid, but I was like the kind of kid that everybody like so the kids that were like strictly into hip-hop like me even the gangbangers in my school uh (laughs) hung out with me uh the nerdy anime kids it's funny to say nerdy anime kids now but my era you were a nerdy kid (laughs) yeah yeah. you weren't nerd existent like you were the outsider like nerds don't exist now because everybody's on the internet but early on i remember like i had early access to the internet like when my dad was uh becoming a cpa we were lucky we invested in a like a computer early on when I was in sixth grade and I just like lived on the internet early on you know yeah so I think that gave me an advantage like being on the internet in like 94 you know uh, getting access to like hip-hop earlier than anybody else I was discovering all these underground hip-hop websites so it's funny like I would listen to Eminem before he got popular like listening to him like in maybe 97 or 98 like
0: listening to the infinite album one day i plan to be a family man happily married i want to grow to be so old that i have to be carried till i'm glad to be buried and leave this crazy world and have at least a half a million for my baby girl it may be early to be planning this stuff because i'm still struggling hard to be the man in it's tough because man it's been rough but still i manage managed enough i've been taking advantage of damage and scuff my hands have been cuffed
2: i was like 13 or 14 and my cousins was like throwing their own little raves in their little, you know, uh, homes and that they were DJing, you know, it was fun. And, uh, I remember when my cousins got older, they were having these European roommates that were putting us on to like the prodigy and chemical brothers early on before like the electronica wave happened. So I don't know, I'm going on and on, but it's a mix of crazy memories, you know?
0: It's interesting hearing you narrate that because I grew up, you know, in a mostly white community in Santa Cruz, but, um, my mom is from Orissa and, uh, it's a small state in Eastern India. And so there's not a whole lot of people from her state in the U S so all of us who are from that state are very closely knit and closely connected. So a lot of my like cousins as you're describing them, aren't blood relatives. Uh, yeah. But I was also like the young dude in my group while all these dudes were listening to like Nas is stillmatic and, yeah. you know, putting on biggie. And I was like, what is that? You know, I was like 11, exactly. 10 and just kind of like, tell me more, tell me more hungry for it, you know? And
1: exactly.
0: I feel like from that, uh, similar to what you're describing, it was like a exposure to more than I probably would have had if I was just hanging out with other fifth graders or other sixth graders. Exactly. Right? That was the advantage. Yeah. of these yeah.
2: older cousins, some blood, some, you know, distant relatives or just family friends, but they were they all felt like they were blood. You know, yeah. At the end of the
0: day. You also mentioned the diversity of Virginia Beach, which I'm really curious about because you know what I've understood from learning about Chad Hugo's story, uh, his parents being Filipino and like opening up their house, and it just became this workshop where like a lot of artists would come through and he would mix and my it up. Parents
2: the same, it yeah. Was the same exact thing. Yeah. It was just the mentality. My parents would have. Everybody over black, white, Chinese doesn't matter. Like my parents were super like open-minded and uh, uh, liberal when it came to just like tolerance and understanding other cultures. It was really cool to see that's that,
1: awesome. like, yeah. You know?
2: And and they were that's part of my success. Like I'm
1: not yeah.
2: ever you know like doubting who's coming over, who is right. this person. They never cared as long as I stayed out of trouble and was just doing things like that. They never took what I did seriously either in the beginning. You know, uh, I had. My friend Nicholas F. You would come over and just like we'd turn my brother's closet into like a freestyle booth and you would just record a, a freestyle. and Little do we know, like Nicholas F. was gonna go help write Drake his first singles and things like that. But like it was a very unique experience growing up in Virginia Beach. And um, when we discovered like in high school, we all knew Timbaland was from our area, so everybody's like trying to find Timbaland, Magoo, and Missy, and like oh, we could all get a deal off of this dude, you know, everybody right. had that mentality and and uh ironically as i was starting to get into the industry closer magoo was one of my first managers like for a very short period of time when i was making beats and um this is while i was in college still you know yeah like, my ultimate dream was to own a record label it was never to be a music video director it was never to be a graphic designer it was never to build websites i did all those things because i was like that would help me create my record label to this day, my ultimate dream is to have a record. There's no money in it. Uh, I mean, I guess you can make money, but, you know, it's like, it's not realistic for me yet, you know, to pursue that. But early on, that was my goal. I was like looking at the Puffs and Jay-Zs and um, even LP. Like, it was mm-hmm. funny. Like, I'd look at Jay-Z for like all the cool business equipment and then Diddy for that. But then I would look to LP as like somebody who was able to do it independently. Uh, yeah. it's cold, it's cold world out there. Up there.
1: Sometimes Sometimes I think I'm getting a little little frost on myself.
2: tell LP that, like, dude, I saw your Revenge of the Robots DVD when I was in college. And it really inspired me and made me realize I could do this out of my bedroom, you know, because seeing these other guys you signed, they were in their bedrooms just freestyling. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. So I just followed that path, you know, like a lot of those guys gave me the blueprint and inspiration. And then first year of college, 2000, mm-hmm. freshman year, discovering NERD mm-hmm. changed my mind and blew my mind. Once I found out those guys are from my hometown, I was like, I got to chase them down. Eventually was able to, you know, just by these other connections with other independent producers and local artists that would come over. Somehow that uh, intersection happened. Right. You know?
0: Right. Yeah. and I mean, you mentioned Nicholas F. Uh, I want you to get into that. You know, li- listening back to Drake's early mixtapes, he's all over yeah. them, right? He's like yeah. three yeah. or four features.
1: Yeah. I'll be at your barrier, tripping. Nicholas F., from Richmond, VA, Scorpio's mind is not a thing to play oh. with all day, come I've on. I've been hated by many, wanted by plenty, disliked by some, but confronted by none. Since they don't show me sincerity, I load up, lock up, take shots at them. I guess you could call it a parody.
0: You know, I know that you played a role, at least I'd love for you to kind of share, like the role you played there.
2: Yeah, the connection was funny because when I was in college, um, I had my own little independent label. We called it Elusive Records or Elusive Entertainment. Right at first, we designed our own website. We were making our own beats, making our own covers, everything on our own, and hosting it on our ODU server. Mm. I'm sure I can't get in trouble now. <laughs> uh, you know, my uh, ODU is the university I went to. Uh, hosted all that stuff on my server, um, uh, which is funny now looking back at it. Yeah. Uh, so. Nick was somebody that was from Richmond, Virginia, which is like an hour and a half drive. But a friend of mine named uh, Jared, who went by Kid Icarus, his producer name was Kid Igarus. He was a mutual friend of mine that we met at a house party. And it was funny because Jared dressed pretty much identical like Pharrell, Mm. like the trucker hat, the dickie shorts, (laughs) 2000s era Pharrell. He looked just like him. They both had like those vintage rock and roll T-shirts and so it's like yo, this kid reminds me of Pharrell, and then little do we you know he was actually working for one of artists, uh, one of the artists that Pharrell had signed. So mm. I was like, oh man, I got to get with this kid. And then Jared was like, yo, I got this artist that I'm uh, working very closely with produce and producing, named Nicholas F. You got to meet him because I love the websites.
1: Mm.
2: It wasn't my really beats. I mean, they like my beats, but they're like, yo, your websites and your ability to design is really sick, man. Like Nobody local we know does that for hip hop. Yeah, You're right. So I was early designing websites for hip hop artists, just local artists and caught the attention of Nick and I was like man we got to like get Nick signed and let me do everything for him. So Nicholas F was like an artist that I used to learn from. Hmm. My first music videos with Nicholas F, my first hip hop website was with Nicholas F, my first real mixtape cover was with Nicholas F. Everything that I did I used Nicholas F as like the experiment and at the same time, we were all such fans of Pharrell mm-hmm. that I was on the N.E.R.D forum and I was on the Star Trek forum. Star Trek is uh, Pharrell's record label at the time, right. which is now defunct. But uh, all the work I did for Nick, whether it was filming DVDs, music videos, uh, artwork, covers, everything, I showed that to Fam Lay who had just signed to Pharrell. It was like one of his first artists that he had signed. And Fam was super impressed. And we just connected instantly and the label was like going through this weird phase where they couldn't really figure out a place for him and how to blow him up because here's somebody from Virginia and everybody from Virginia at the time sounded like they were New York rappers. Mm-hmm. East Coast rap. Even the clips, you know, they had a very New York East Coast sound. Players, we ain't the same. I'm in the cane and guns. Chop with the fishes, make the facelift numb. Out in Panama on that amazing sun. I'm amazing, son. You niggas wonder where my grace is from. I speak with. Virginia's M- sound really was more because the production versus like how you rapped. Sure, but Fam was a little different. He had a very like West Coast too short flow meets Scarface meets like um something southern you know he had that flow more to me he was like the early version of gucci Mane, mm. and it was too early because you're somebody that has southern sounds but doesn't the beats were like all you know neptune's beats
1: all shit they done did it man family came through when they kidded thing. and your girl trying to get it man if you in love with your girl better get her man uh, i'm a pimp nigga peep how i play it ain't got a limp, nigga. I ain't got say. but I'm the coolest. You can put your soul on it. Uh, new juice, old money with the mold on. It. Ham in the beach house, ass cheeks out. You know what we about, about the freak out, uh. And I'ma put it on like a owner.
0: Yep.
2: But a- I loved it. I think he had a cult, cult following from it, and like if you knew, you knew. He became like your rapper's favorite rapper.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. You
2: know, those guys. I think that's why he never like fully took off with the singles. But he always had this, like, core, like, Star Trek fan base. And, like, Tyler, the creator, loved him. Mm. Drake, at the time, loved him. All these guys that really loved Pharrell loved him. And um, here I was, working with him closely while I'm in college, still working with Nick. And then Drake was such a fan of the Star Trek movement. He wanted to sign to Pharrell. You know, back in the days, you could embed, like, all these things on your MySpace. Like, MySpace, to me, was the best social media network because. Especially for me, somebody who had programming background, I was able to like just recode my MySpace and make it super customized. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would like put your favorite album covers that inspired you. You kind of w- used it as like your identity, like this is yeah, who I am. Totally, how you attracted people, right? So like Russell Peters at the time, growing up, like was my favorite comedian, being that you know is another brown dude that's like making jokes that we could really relate to. So I had a Russell Peters set embedded on my. Um, Page. I met an Indian guy. I swear to God, his real name was Suck Deep. <laughs> suck Deep. Could you imagine living your life with a name like Suck Deep? Somebody's looking for you one day. Hey, Yo, man. You suck deep? <laughs> well, sometimes if I have to, I... Don't really like it though. I... Drake, who was already following me, like left this funny comment, like, "Oh my God, you know Russell Peters? You know he's from Canada too. We love Russell Peters, and he just left that funny comment, you know, <laughs> on there. And then he DM'd me, like, yo, man, I don't have a manager right now, so you know, I'm pretty much a free agent. You know, let me know what's up.' was like, dude, I'll try what I can. You know, to get to Star Trek. They weren't really feeling it yet. Uh, I did my best to get him on." Uh, signed, so I got him on a collaboration with Malice from the clips.
0: I do this for y'all, man. Malice Nicholas as the remix. Like slow motion, oh. stepping out the panel, all eyes on me, peeking and glancing, leaning on the wall, oh. b boys dancing, ears, neck, and wrist looking like the king's ransom. One chick each arm, making it a tandem, flashiest.
2: Uh, we got that song placed on a mixtape called "We Got the Remix." what happened is, I used to download all the instrumentals off the internet for Pusha or Pharrell when they wanted to freestyle on a certain beats, uh, you know, being this kid that had all this internet knowledge before iTunes and all these YouTube existed. You had to have like Kazaa or LimeWire, all these things. So we would know how to get the instrumentals. So when uh, the Clips did their first mixtape, we, the, uh, we got it for cheap, I had all the instrumentals and I had the acapellas from the engineer. So my friend, DJ Benzi, who was a huge fan, we connected on the forum and I sent him all these acapellas and we made this mixtape that later became a classic. According to Rolling Stones, it was like the top five mixtapes of the year. It was like the early mashup era and through that mixtape we had Diplo on it, Nick Catchdubs, all these dope producers that became somebody later on. We placed our re, you know, remix with the uh, Nicholas F. and Drake on that mixtape we did. So it's like all of us were getting on, you know, and it, and it kept my dream alive of like kind of having this record label. Right. And more and more, I was like, you know, I got to make some real money. And by the time I graduated, we had enough money from just our mixtape and web design hustles. Me and my best friend, Philip that I grew up with, um, he pretty much him and I were like brothers and we took the same courses, known him since sixth grade. And it was ironic in sixth grade, Pharrell's mom was our teacher that till much later while we were in college one day
0: that's sixth grade yeah wow
2: He would like say hey you know uh uh that rex and fx song that you guys like on the radio my son produced that i'm like yeah whatever you know <laughs> yeah. and i told all that story later on when he uh, was releasing his first solo album in my mind because right. uh, i actually downloaded a lot of the wu-tang instrumentals for that uh mixtape hmm. I would do these little things that's, like, so funny to look back at. Like, it wasn't, like...
0: Yeah, just helping out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, just what I could,
0: you
2: know. Yeah. CDs, whatever I could.
0: Um, so she would... Like, when, when she was uh, your sixth grade teacher, she'd kind of drop these references that you wouldn't take them that seriously?
2: No, because we're like, what are you talking about? We're in Virginia. Like, right. How is that even possible? <laughs> you know, we didn't even think an industry existed there. Yeah. Little do we know, like, Teddy Riley did the Michael Jackson album there you know and the dangerous album a lot of people don't like but that was one of my favorite albums great album yeah that was an album that i grew up do you remember
0: when we fell in love we were young and in a do you remember how it all began it just seemed like i mean i imagine that coming out in 91 you immigrating here being eight nine years yeah. old probably not knowing english right like yeah, michael yeah. jackson that was probably a big pop culture influence and in a way for you to like understand what it yeah. meant to like be american like what, what was it about that yeah, album
2: yeah it was because like it, the timing was crazy because home alone was my favorite movie <laughs> as a kid it still is yeah so you saw like macaulay culkin too because first time i ever listened to michael jackson was when uh Thriller came out, but I was a kid, so I have no memory. I just remember that my parents and everybody were gathering together to watch the <laughs> whole career of a video, but I didn't remember nothing about it. Sure. But then my cousin uh, was like, Yo, Michael Jackson's releasing his new single, Black or White. We gotta see this. this is like the same feeling again, but this time I can remember it yep. all like vividly. God, this is so cool, like merging hip-hop and like this sound I never heard before, so crisp and like listening to jam and this like New Jack swing era, like being fused with Michael Jackson's music. One, two, three. Yeah. 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 You wanna get up just sounded insane so like that album is such amazing amazing like part of my youth
0: totally i mean that's a history of of virginia beach that i got really into in the last couple of years is just learning about teddy coming in 1990 yeah. michael jackson coming and then i mean think about all the great music that's been made there even all the justin timberlake albums oh, yeah, dude, over dude, yeah at master sound right yeah 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 I remember I was, I was in Virginia Beach. This will crack you up. Um, and I, like, stayed an extra – I was there for a work trip, and I stayed an extra yeah. day just to kind of go to some of the spots and, like, you know, have my own little tour. And I was trying to get to Master Sound in this, like, you know, random – Oh,
2: and I was knew me. I you.
0: Totally, totally. I, 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 like, someone introduced me to Rob Olsh, maybe his name is. Yeah, Rob Olsh owns that. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't able to connect with him. Uh, but anyway, I was driving around, and what you were saying about the Navy base – I just started like tick took a wrong turn, and all of a sudden was like, "Oh crap!" Like I'm rolling up to this, you know, the Navy yeah. checkpoint, and they're yeah, like checking yeah. my ID. They make That's me turn around, and I was like all sketched out for a minute. Like, no, oh man, I, did, yeah. <laughs> I grew up
2: right next to a Navy base.
0: Okay, so yeah, you probably had that experience. Um, yeah. But I mean, it tripped me out, right? Just going back to where Teddy Riley used to produce, and I know it burnt down, but what's there now is like a batteries and bulbs and like a you know yeah. vet, you know, uh, yeah. veterinarian and, and Princess Anne's work right over there, but like. It's, it's, I don't know, it's something that I wish would happen more is memorializing some of these important moments in music know, and hip-hop. And right? I
2: wouldn't be here without Teddy, you know, because I wouldn't be here without Pharrell and all the other people. You know, as far as career goes, you know, like I owe a lot, you know. Like just inspiration alone was like enough for me. Another thing a lot of people don't know about me that I've never talked about in a podcast and I just it just hit me. I was like, wait a minute. Technically I've been making the music music videos since I was a kid because my first job was at the beach. My uncle owned a beach that my mom managed and in the it was a tourist like shop, but the tourist shop would let you record your own karaoke music videos. Mm. Oh. And that's I would work the green screen and film karaoke music videos. So people would sometimes even I would record demos this is like when I'm 14, 15, uh-huh. um, we had like, it's called a Superstar Studios, like franchise or whatever. My uncle had part of it. And so we had this little booth in the beach room where you could go inside, put an instrumental cassette tape on CD on and two track recording that I was doing. Like wow. I was doing this early on. <laughs> so at 14, I would record these demos from like random dudes that want to just make demos for low Yeah. They would come to that shop record these demos and then we'd go to the green screen room and just film it for like $40. That's that. Just tape. Yeah. <laughs> music video. Just like a
0: summer yeah. gig. Was that just like a yeah, summer? No, yeah, a
2: summer gig every summer.
0: Wow. It's
2: insane to think about it now. So it's
0: been, been in your blood. That's
2: something I've never talked about on any podcast podcast. My first job was that.
0: Since you mentioned the, the music videos, I want to talk about how you transitioned, right? You started out thinking Elusive would be more uh, music exactly. label, record label, right? And then that we kind did of, a little bit of
1: everything.
0: Right, right. And then it sort of morphed into being more around music videos. Or how how did you kind of become more so of a video I director? I was getting
2: that experience of shooting music videos just out of necessity, right? I was like, anybody could do one. I was just in that mentality. I was like, anybody could do one. Just follow whatever I did. Just literally, I remember one of my first big music videos that I did. I I'll say it now because I don't mind because it's so old now. This video uh, I was for skills featuring freeway, a song called Don't Act Like. Okay. we shot-for-shot, shot, like the composition uh, from Flavian Ear, Ear Remix. For, Craig Mac. Uh, Craig Mack. Yeah. So there's a black and white video behind a, like a huge white psych. We did the same exact thing. Like <laughs> I just copied shots. So for some reason, in the beginning, we would always copy videos. Like my first video for Nicholas F was like a combination of uh, the Through the Wire video mixed with some other like random videos that I loved. Mm. And so, like, I was always just em- em- emulating music videos I liked. Mm. That's how I learned, right? till I developed my own style. But I always liked things that were left field, you know? So uh, even when we, like, copied the Flavor Year video, we did, like, these cool transitions because we had this gigantic green screen. So even though it looked like it was a white psych, like, shots would transition, you know, yeah. together. Oh, that threw them off, you know, because it looked like it was just a regular white psych. So that was kind of cool. Um, but did music videos because I was like, oh, this is what we got to do. Like, we're a multimedia company now. We went from record label to be a multimedia company because I was like, okay, I don't know when we're ever going to get signed or which one of our artists are going to stay signed. And at this point, I was already happy because I was working with signed artists. So I was like, sure, like, let's get this money, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, we, love, we just, I knew that I loved being around it regardless. So like, even though the record label dream wasn't happening, it felt like I was running a record label because... We were doing everything from merch to the website to the the whole complete rollout before these terms like rollout existed for record labels. We were doing that without knowing it, you know, and we're doing it out of Virginia for like all the local artists that had some bread from major artists like your dope boys that had a little bit of cash. Sure. We did it all, you know. And then what happened was we weren't taking music videos seriously, but people were like, oh, this shit looks legit, you know, looks pretty dope. Like it looks better than whatever was on BT Uncut. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so um never thought about it as a full time gig. Cause our big bread and butter was MySpace. We mm-hmm. were customizing them to a point where like we were charging seven to ten thousand dollars for a MySpace page.
0: Damn. For- we did Sean
2: Paul's MySpace for like seventy five hundred dollars, which was a lot yeah. back then to do a MySpace.
0: He was like the hottest you know, artist in the game at, at one point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So it was good money. And then I don't know what happened. Like the, re- well, I know what happened. The recession happened and the industry was shifting. It didn't know how to make money anymore because nobody was buying CDs. Everybody's bootlegging. They were hurting. So they didn't know how to like adjust to this new era of YouTube and everything. And I was like, man, I can't make money off of websites because they're not even paying enough to do these websites now. And most people now have like these Twitter and all this stuff's coming out, like Facebook. and Even MySpace itself was like so easy to customize now. Like they didn't need us. So a recession happens. Here I am now stuck with two offices cuz we grew that much.
0: This is the late 2000s.
2: Yeah, this okay. is like 2008, okay. 2009 era. We were making good money and then we were making no money. Mm. Now we're stuck with the lease for two offices and I'm struggling like whatever money I have we're just paying off that you know lease till our contract went up. So that was bad and it made me rethink everything and you know but I always realized i liked music videos the most because it was the most enjoyable because there was still this element of like design somehow incorporated this element of music production editing had a lot of musicality to it so i knew i enjoyed that the most um but i was told you know like everybody was like y'all are doing too much you gotta like really master one art Mm -hmm. so figure out what you want to do i said you know what i love this music video stuff and you know, DSLRs were starting to come out now in 2010, and so the 7D came out. And I told Pusha I wanted one. I'll do your video for free if you buy me a 7D and a few lights and a green screen kit. They did, hmm. and in exchange, I did like two, three music videos for them. And that's
0: uh, like the Doorman video that you yeah, did. Okay.
2: Yeah. So um, we did that. And then it attracted the attention of my friend Kenna because he was like, yo, how are you doing these videos for so cheap? They look awesome. Because the DSLR gave you like this depth for the first time. You know, a lot of local kids, I'm sure, were doing videos with DSLRs, but I had this huge platform already for music videos because my first now like uh, music video that I would take seriously would be with the clips mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Asher Roth. Yeah. Right. So like all these guys are coming to us. We were all connected somehow. Like Kenna connected me with Lupe because Lupe liked this video I did uh, with him, Mike Shinoda, called uh, Resurrection. Mm. I did it for free because the Haiti had this earthquake and we wanted to raise money and awareness for it. So I did that video for free and Lupe was like, yo, man, really appreciate you doing that video for free. I'm going through some shit with my label. So we're just going to have to do this low-budget video. And so um, that's how I connected with Lupe and he loved that video. Day
1: Nobody cares tomorrow they will they will today nobody cares but oh
0: And that's like the lasers era. And so on beam in came out Yeah, that time. Yeah. And it's
2: crazy. Cause like technically that was my first gold plaque because you know, later on they made a rule that if you contributed to the album, whether it's music video directing or whatever, that album, uh, you know, that was a bonus record, but that album went gold. That's You awesome. know, it was actually his first like real successful album. I know critically it was panned, but like, you know, audience wise, it was like his most successful album, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was crazy you know like one of our first big videos is Lupe and then the album does pretty well and then right after that Pusha signed into good music now Pharrell was like now kind of leaving Star Trek and figuring out other things everybody was going through this phase, and I'm starting to see like everybody's starting to leave Virginia too so I'm starting to be lost I'm like yo it's kind of crazy that Lupe would fly out here Asher Roth would fly out here David Banner would fly out here to shoot with me but I don't know how much longer I can do that and I need to be around the industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like I did the most I could in Virginia and like at that time I was working full-time. Uh, I left my elusive media kind of like just disbanded a little bit. Mm-hmm. I took this job at a university but it was cool because I was like the media supervisor so kind of still related and it was funny I'd meet these college kids uh, that were attending there and that's where I met Earth Gang mm. Oh like nice J. Cole the Earth Gang was going to Hampton University when I was working at Hampton Wait, University Wait
0: you met them as students? Yeah That's awesome
2: <laughs> At HU Yep Every single day is a press conference Time to send messages The steps to how I'm
1: stomping them Step one Bring my knee up to my sternum and step two bring it back down with velocity of burning meteor y'all can't one at a time so y'all surround now venus get the swinging and hearts proceed the roundhouse ginger breast next for all the hansels and grits i'm the architect
2: direct the head, then i jet
0: were they like close to you like you saw them around um you
2: know like i was helping a lot of the media stuff out over there okay. at the university so i would just run into them because naturally they were trying to like sure promote themselves and be around that circle so yeah You know, I think they found out what I actually did on the side, which was music videos. (laughs) It was kind of crazy. I'm working a nine to five because I need benefits and figure out my life and get steady income now, Right. And at the same time on a weekend, I'm shooting with Pusha T. or Asher Rock.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. David Banner on the side. And then my brother at that age was just coming out of college and uh, trying to figure out his life. And he just, for fun started producing music because mm. he was around it as a kid around me, you yeah. know? So he's used to the industry and he knew how to deal with the industry. So he just became this funny kid on social media named Tash P and just choking all the time and just attracting <laughs> the attention of other people. And he attracted the attention of Ferg and all these guys through Twitter and Facebook. And that's how we connected. It was to my brother. I met Ferg. Mm. And by then I was managing family too on the side because his manager at the time had gotten locked up a lot of my friends were getting locked up man they got caught up in the drug world and it was crazy man that's why i like a lot of this stuff when i write my movie well my first movie is based on shit that sounds stranger than fiction but it's real it's like what i lived kind of got to see both you know i grew up in the half of my life and the other half i grew up in this like upper middle class suburbs almost at like my dad really made it you know yeah and Got both experiences. It's always comfortable being in the hood, like filming videos. I wasn't scared, you know? I'd be around like 16 old gangbangers that were killers and we were filming docs, you know? And so I wasn't afraid to be out there. And Pharrell was like, oh, shit, this shit is raw. Like the stuff I was shooting for family, yeah. you would do that. And so it um, helped me like create this gritty style too, like very street, early on like uh, street style videos because your typical dude with the experience of like knowing how to do like cool music videos wouldn't want to go out to the hood, Mm -hmm. but I did. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I was bringing like these Canon 70s out there and we had this unique look to it, Mm -hmm. to our videos. And then on top of that, we were mixing like my best friend, Robbie, who was always with Lucid Media since day one, knew a lot of After Effects. Mm -hmm. And just for the love, like we would all work together and he would do this crazy VFX stuff for free, you know? So that's how the loop baby, looked a little crazy. And the family video I did attracted the attention of my friend, uh, this guy named Lil Internet, a.k.a. Julian, Julian Wadsworth. He was also from Norfolk, Virginia, and a big fan of family. Mm. And he saw this one family video I did, and he was like, yo, man, I'm at Karma Loop in New York. I see that what you're doing, like, guerrilla-style videos. You need to come out to New York, and I think – get a job here, man. Like it'd be perfect. By then I'd been already married. And my wife is kind of like, what are we going to do? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know much opportunity in Virginia anymore. And I just had gotten married and took a huge leap of faith and said, let's take this job in New
0: York. And can you explain just like, what is guerrilla style to people who might not be familiar with that?
2: It can be so many things, you know, but for me, it's working with what you got ultimately. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I remember when we were kids, we didn't have YouTube to figure out all these tutorials, but just instinctively working. Uh, so like, I was like, oh, we don't have a dolly. All right, let's just make one out of a skateboard. That's what we did. You know, we would take our Canon GL2s and just ride a skateboard. And that was our yeah. human dolly, right? <laughs> um, and then later, I don't know, it just hit me. Like, We started like looking at these film forums as we got older, still pre-YouTube, but we would research on the internet like oh you get a pvc pipe and make like a legit dolly this way you know trying to make the best film you can with what you have ultimately yeah you know and that can go so many ways shooting without permits <laughs> telling everybody yeah we're shooting a student film you know um just getting it by any means necessary man.
0: right and that i mean that parallels with hip-hop right where it's like what yeah, do you have, you have your mentality. voice that's yeah. why
2: it goes so well together yeah because hip-hop artists constantly feel like that's how they got to do it
0: they got to go DIY. The label,
2: sometimes they'll listen and they just go DIY route to get their music out. Right. You know, when the Clips had a issue with their record label, they said, fuck it, let's record our mixtape on our own. And it just got mad buzz, you know, <laughs> same thing. Same approach. I, I kind of grew up in that. Right. You know, making our own tape covers, doing everything on our own, man. Like, that's what DIY is to me. Like, that's what Guerrilla Style is to me.
0: Right, and your history of making music videos with Pusha from you know the Doorman clips video, MPA is a video I love, like with yeah. the Dream and kind of the movement. And then we did uh, You
2: Know You Know was the last. Yeah, that's I what I was gonna ask. If you know you know. Yeah. if you know, you know. If you know, you know.
1: If you know, you know. This thing of ours, oh, this thing of us. A fraternity of drug dealers ringing off. I just happen to be alumni. Too legit, they still looking at me with one eye. The company I keep is not corporate enough. Child rebel soldier, you ain't often enough.
0: I'm curious if you can talk about that one a little bit, especially with the you know police brutality being in the yeah. the news a lot right now, and thinking about making yeah, that video. Yeah, it now
2: was kind of in the news then, but it was still something we really cared about. Right you know, so.
0: And how did that to, come together? And it. yeah, how did that video come together? And what were some of the ideas that led to having that feel? Shiv, that
2: called me. Shiv who manages Pops and Look and Pusha T. Mm. Uh, Shiv called me and was like, yo, uh, you down to do this? You know, you know, video. I'm like, hell yeah. Uh, I think Pusha wants to like kind of cover police brutality somehow. I was like, word. And then they brought on a creative director that said they wanted to, um, kind of like shoot things from a body cam perspective mm. and I, they gave me those like little details, but not the story. And then I came up with the story of like, where can we, I don't know what it was, but I think the timing was so crazy. And I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to like, within this time, like it was super last minute. I was like, how can I have a police chase happen last minute?
1: Sure.
2: Not worrying about permits. We actually didn't get permits. For that video. <laughs> so we went to the uh, uh, Lancaster and said, Perfect idea. The desert always shoots beautifully. Mm. Go to a desert in the middle of nowhere. We'll get these police cars and just like shoot a chase and push a one at a Ferrari uh, four eighty eight. And it's so funny because once we use that car, he loved that car so much he ended up buying it like a few <laughs> months later for himself because he loved it. But um, yeah, you know, we 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 uh, wanted to um, make something that was abstract at the same time because we wanted to demonize them, you know, Mm -hmm,
1: the cops. mm -hmm.
2: So, like, there's this, like, little bit of, like, when you see the video towards the end, uh, I put Pusher in this world where everything was, like, is this a dream? Is this a nightmare? So that's kind of what happens, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end. So that's why the distorted face uh, got the idea from Apex Twins Come to Daddy video when the mouth gets super big. Mm -hmm. But I take my own approach to it. So, like, we combine that idea from Come to Daddy and, Made the cops when they were yelling, get out of the car, like, expanding the mouth.
0: Right. Know? Distorting so, and, like, the redness in yeah, the yeah, eyes. And yeah, you've got, like, exactly. the lightning going on behind them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
2: we're trying to do our own thing, you know, still creating our own world. Right. So, like, you know, because when something happens that, that crazy, I feel like it's a dream. Like, I've been in video shoots and we got into shootouts. And when that happens, it feels like you're in a fucking movie. Mm. So, same thing. I've used those experiences, the real-life experiences of trauma. Right, and so that's what it is, you know? It's just yeah. a nightmare, you know?
0: And I mean, the way the video starts and he's cruising along, enjoying it, the sun's beaming, and then all of a sudden yeah. things turn, right? And the exactly. nature uh, of reality, one day things are good, in one moment things are good, and another moment it changes.
2: Yeah, but it still goes to show you, like, yeah, you're a black man with all this money, and racism doesn't give a shit. Right,
0: you know? right. It's like, The NBA players taking their response and then talking about how like we face this, you know, we we go to a jewelry store and we can't get in because they think we're robbing it, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. So.
2: That sort of discrimination happened over and over again. You know, Uh, I'm kind of working on that subject another video for uh, a friend of mine Mm -hmm. Mm Kenna, right now i can't go too detailed into what's in production right now it's like a short movie slash music video we're about to release
0: nice that's awesome yeah and i'm curious in terms of like albums or songs that have meant a lot to you personally is through the years uh be it when you were coming up and i mean you talked a little bit about your cousins sharing music with you but i'm curious about even like college days or you know post-college days like stuff in virginia or not like what are some albums songs that come to mind artists that come to mind that have just really like moved you and, and made a huge impact on you
2: as a child it was the michael jackson dangerous album hmm. and uh nirvana Nevermind is the obvious one and nine inch nails closer and uh Wu Tang's Thirty Six Chambers, hmm. those albums, and Grave Diggers, those albums from like middle school to high school, early. Big big influence, and then the Neptune's era hit for me in '98 when I discovered Noriega and the Super Thug single. I was like, Yo, what is this? I didn't even realize you guys. <laughs> a reach. That was
0: insane. Got a record. Hold
1: on, hold on. Let me get the phone. Hold on.
0: Here, yeah. what you found Manuel Noriega
1: in the Philippines? He has a mansion.
2: Okay, we're on it, we're on it right now. Right, so then I discovered Noriega through that single and. Got into like all this Queens music, you know. I just went back into the Mob Deep discography, and so then it became like Mob Deep, Noriega, and uh, Big Pun, and mm-hmm. all this like East Coast New York hip hop became really heavy uh, in my life uh, from uh, high school to college. And my brain exploded when I saw Can't Stand the Rain from Missy Elliott.
0: Mm-hmm. Me, I'm super fly, super duper fly, super duper
2: fly. Me, I'm super fly, super duper fly, super duper
1: fly. Me, I'm super fly, super duper fly, super
2: duper fly. Me, I'm super fly. I was like, oh my god! Like that's when I was like, oh, rap videos could be different too. Trash bag. But Wow, rap videos were like all the same, man. Like, yeah, you you, you really see too much creativity until hype came in. The game, like some Busta's videos have changed, but oh my god, dude. like thing is, back then, like watching hype videos made you like the artist, mm. and then the artists were just so damn good too that you were just like in love with that world. So like Busta to me was like the female counter—I mean the male counterpart to uh, Missy for me. Yeah, you know.
0: And I mean the first album Missy put out, it starts with Busta, it ends with yeah. Busta.
1: Yeah, and yeah, 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 Came out here an hour and
2: twenty-five minutes. One of them Gilligan Allen shits from New York, Virginia. Word up! Came out here to visit your ass, and you playing shit like this up in my ear. To me, they were just like so parallel, right? Their worlds, right? Both had this these awesome left-field sounding records, and you know, had this Virginia roots. Like Busta got his first driver's license in Virginia. He, I think it's why you fit the time or whatever from Virginia but like he has these deep roots in Virginia too uh, that he revealed at Pharrell's concert uh, a festival, something in the water.
0: Oh yeah that's right, that's right and Missy on that song she's like I'm driving to the beach. It's me, me and and Timothy. Beep, beep, who got the keys to the Jeep? (laughs) I'm driving
2: to the beach. Top down, loud sound, see my peace. Give them pounds now, look who it be
0: it be me, 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 and Timothy.
2: that, yo, Like, that's what we did growing up. Like, you know, I didn't care what car you had as long as you had an awesome system. So, like, my friend, he hated his Bronco, which now, like, I love the old Bronco thing about it. But we had a system, man, and we were blasting the shit out of Missy and Noriega just driving through the strip. Like, that's the culture we lived in, man. We grew up just driving through the strip, like, blasting our music to attract attention. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who had the coolest music? Yeah. favorite memory is being in college and neptunes were running the radio hmm. and just playing every ne- dude we would make mixtapes of just all compilations of all neptunes produced records and that's all we would blast so we just circle the block just circle the oceanfront the strip over and over again playing ray j's wait a minute to NERDs, lap dance everything man
0: what, what do you what would you say is the best oh my god <laughs> I can't ask.
2: That's <laughs> grinding, man. Grinding. Grinding. Grinding's still my one of my favorite dad and Super Thug and my favorite Neptune's beats.
0: Yeah. Would you say Lord Willen or Hell Hath No Fury?
2: Both. Both, yeah. Both have a special place for me because Lord Willen is when I fell in love with this world of Virginia, like this underworld that we didn't know about, of all the dope dealers and stuff, they they had kind of created that. You ready, come down here. This Virginia nigga, we do this in broad daylight. That's a whole different degree of homicide, nigga. You I'm from Virginia, what ain't shit to do but cook, pack it up, sell it. Hell have no fury. I was from a different perspective because I had worked with them already professionally before the album came out. Like I'm in the linear notes. Oh, nice. Thank yous, you know? So that was a whole nother experience. And I had seen their struggle with the label Mm. and I was working with them. That was me making the website when the label wasn't up to it, making their mixtape covers when the label's not up to it, downloading the instrument, doing whatever I could to support them. I played Mm. a role in that album and it's crazy. Yeah, It's like a historic classic album, but you know, I love that album more for the lyricism. I feel like they became better lyricists. Yeah. But the first one was just like a fun street album. I gave you the sound of Virginia. Like it defined this Virginia.
0: Yeah. It's on the cover, right? It says, welcome to Virginia Beach. They're driving in a car, right? And then.
2: That uh, album is your postcard to Virginia.
0: Yeah. And I I heard Pusha talking about how Biggie was his inspiration for the second. Right. And he was just listening to Biggie. And was like, I I want to emulate. Yeah. Yeah. I want to emulate Biggie's flow. And, and you could tell he comes so hard. Oh, and both of them come nice. so hard. I philosophize about glocks and keys. keys. Niggas call me young black Socrates. Socrates. West Indies, bitch, drop the knees quick. Whoa. Those beats are things you just like don't hear from anyone else.
2: They're so minimal, so the lyrics would stand out. But they hit so hard. Very rare combination to put together. Like, Lord Willow to me is the perfect album for a different reason. Um, because it was a time of my life where you know how sometimes you just love an album because there was a great time in your life and sure. you had just yep. had memories associated yep. that's how lord willing is for me but hell Hath no fury was just pure like raw hip-hop like, telling you you know, we're the best <laughs> um pushes the homie at the end of the day and gave me all the opportunity but everything just connected man i mean of course we had to work hard like i'm not mentioning the sleepless nights of figuring out to. Huh? do this VFX on our own, figure out how to color correct on our own. You know, we we didn't grow up with the industry. We didn't have agents. Everything was on our own. Yeah. And so, now here I am, my third hopeful comeback, which is now I want to do movies.
0: Right. And, uh, I I don't even know if it's a comeback, right? It's just a a different kind of arc, right?
2: Yeah, but you know, I kind of laid low. You know, like when COVID happened, dude, I laid low. I Mm. I couldn't, you know, I I, I didn't mention this yet, but, my wife last year was diagnosed with a brain tumor, so we mm. had to be very careful. Mm. You know, luckily it was benign and like a year has gone by and it hasn't grown, you know, but it was super stressful for me, man. And like I made the most money I ever made last year working with like New York Knicks, Adidas, all these brands. They were just uh, Sony headphones, like doing all these commercials back to back to nothing this year almost, but by choice because I was already exhausted. And I didn't want to really produce stuff in COVID. I was just so confused by that. I was like, I'm not taking any chance. Especially right. My wife. So in the beginning, we canceled all our jobs. And some of the jobs just got canceled anyways. So like, man, March, when it got official, lockdowns happened. I lost 100K mm. in profit. Just all the canceled gigs. Like we about to shoot a New Balance commercial, canceled. Yeah. Shooting all these episodes with Deez and Miro canceled. Hmm. Everything canceled, man. So, yeah, I think this is a
0: comeback for everybody, anybody coming out of this, honestly. Wow. Big shout out to Shomi Patwari for coming on the show and sharing so many great stories about his career uh, and the many moments that have made him who he is. I'm so appreciative. I think one of the moments that really stands out is when uh he told me hey i wish i knew you I would, I would have introduced you to people in virginia beach such a thoughtful guy not knowing me at all being willing to make time for this conversation definitely follow him at Shomi putwari uh check out some of his music videos if you aren't familiar with them and follow us too we're on instagram uh, and also on apple podcasts drop us a review we'd love to hear from you South Asians Love Rap is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Akash Pandey. Theme music by Dust Collector. Cover art by Aaron Zonka. Thanks a bunch.